Our most gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we are again so thankful for your wondrous love for all of mankind, but especially for us as your children. Father, we can't thank thee enough for that amazing grace of thy dear Son who came to this earth to live and to die for us that gives us hope of eternal life in heaven. And Father, we pray that if there is anyone that has not rendered obedience to the gospel, we pray that they will do so before it's everlasting too late. Father, we reminded of many that are sick at this time, that are afflicted, whether it's over this virus or the flu or whatever else it might be in their lives, that you'll watch over them, help them to a better portion of health. But Father, we pray for those that are grieving over the loss of loved ones, especially the Methvin family at this time, the Rutledge family, the Mitchell family, that you'll watch over them and help them along in their time of sorrow, that they'll be able to look unto thee and thy word for that strength, that comfort that might be able to overcome. Father, we know that there are many in our world today that are suffering over the loss of loved ones because of this coronavirus. Be with those families at this time. May they look unto thee and thy word as well for that strength and comfort. Father, we pray for our missionaries and the, the work that they're doing in trying to spread the borders of thy kingdom, that they are able to do it without the fear of molestation and, and persecution. And Father, we know that, that our soldiers that are out there in the fields that are striving to keep us free, keep America free. Father, we ask thee to be with them, be with their families. Watch over them, help them to a good tenure in their service, and that they'll be back home with their families once again. Father, we ask thee to be with us in our service as we Strive to do all that we can to understand thy word, and that we can apply what we have heard and apply it to our lives and our minds and our souls. Father, forgive us so our worship will not be hindered in any way. In the end, save us if we've been found faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. With your Bible still open there in 1 Peter 1, we're going to be looking at and talking about there is hope for the future. You know, I wish I could stand here before you and say and tell you what the future holds. I, I can't. But we many times want to forecast what things are going to be like. 
what things are going to be like e economically or in the other areas of our life. Sometimes we might hit it, sometimes we don't. But many of us are concerned about, the, about our future. We're concerned about the direction of our country. I don't know where it's going to go. I mean, the, we, we wonder what lives are going to be like 25 years from now. Wait a minute. We don't even know what our life's going to be like a year from now. And so we're concerned about the direction that our country is going. Whether it's 25, 50, whatever it might be, if the Lord delays his coming. The fact is, is we just don't know what the future holds. But we do know who holds the future. And that is God. The God of heaven. The Bible tells us that God is sovereign. And that he is reigning on his throne all the time. Even today. The psalmist said in Psalm 99 in verse 1. The Lord reigneth. Now we understand that that word reigneth means that it's an ongoing action. The Lord continues to reign. And for that we're grateful. It may be the case that in your life things are bleak. Or they seem bleak. And maybe from your vantage point you can't see any hope for the future. But I want you to understand that in Christ himself there is always hope. There is always hope for the future because there are better days coming. And furthermore, there's a better place coming. And Peter talks about that in 1 Peter 1. And so let's look at that portion of Scripture, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. And let's begin by talking about the guarantor of our inheritance. And that would be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the basis for our hope for the future rests upon the very shoulders of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. We talk about the resurrection of Christ. We talk about the implications, if you will, that seem to be far-reaching. But listen to Peter here. Look at verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, many years ago, there was an empty tomb where up from the grave he arose, as we sing on occasion, where God's Son rose from the dead. The Bible talks about the resurrection, and with that I think about the proof of the resurrection of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, Luke tells us, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Did you know that there were eyewitnesses to the very resurrection of Christ? Yes, there was. In 1 Corinthians 15, 4 through 10, Paul even talks about those who had the opportunity to see firsthand the Son of God. Here he mentions Cephas and then the apostles. And then he said that above 500 brethren at once saw him. And then he makes mention of James and the other apostles. Now Paul also includes himself among that number. And so there was viable proof about the resurrection of Christ. We talk about the eyewitnesses. We talk about the evidence. And then that great exclamation by Thomas 
in the long ago. We, a lot of times we call him Doubting Thomas. But I think that he demanded the evidence in the long ago. You might recall how he had the opportunity to examine the very body of the resurrected Christ. You remember what he said? He said, my Lord and my God. John 20, 28. What about the power of the resurrection of Christ? Did you know that Jesus was declared to be the very Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead? According to Paul in Romans 1 and verse 4. When we talk about Christianity, it really hinges upon the resurrection, doesn't it? It either stands or it falls on the basis of an empty tomb. Now, Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, he broke the very bonds of death, the writer tells us, that he destroyed him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Hebrews 2, 14. Now, back to 1 Corinthians 15, we find when the Apostle Paul writes concerning the resurrection and the validity of that resurrection, he points out that if Christ has not been resurrected from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain and that we are still in sin. In reality, if Jesus had not been resurrected, we are out of luck. That's just it. We are out of luck. We're wasting our time this morning. We're wasting our time at any time, even reading the Bible, because that's where we find the information. But you see, Christ did rise from that grave on that third day. He was resurrected. And thus our preaching is not in vain. And thus our faith is not in vain. And that we are with luck, we are with hope, and yet we're talking about the very basis of our hope for the future. The basis of that hope being the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then what about the preaching of the resurrected Jesus? Did you know that the book of Acts really emphasizes to us that the apostles had heralded the resurrected Jesus? In Acts chapter 2, the very first sermon preached in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day, the Bible tells us that Peter had indicted those, those who were present. He said in verse 23 of Acts 2, that by wicked hands have crucified and slain Jesus. But in verse 24 though, he says, whom God had raised up, having loosed the pains of death. You go down to Acts 3 in verse 15, you'll find that Luke tells us that the apostle Peter in his second recorded sermon said that you killed the prince of life whom God had raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses. And then go down to chapter 4 in verse 2 of Acts. It was said of Peter and John that they preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so our hope for the future, it rests on this great truth. Take it away. We are nothing. We have no hope. And so the guarantor of our hope for the future. But then what about the glorious of our inheritance? Listen, if you will, to what Peter says here in 1 Peter 1 again. But notice verse 4. Peter said, we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven 
for you and me. You can go back in history and read about some of the great empires, some of the great kingdoms that had risen to great heights, but later to fall. You go back in history and you read about the Assyrians. You can also read about the Babylonian kingdom and their rise to power. About Nebuchadnezzar and the very power that he wielded over the cities in that day. And then the Babylonian kingdom have gave way to the Persian empire. And then the great Grecian empire bear rule over the earth by conquering the Persians. And then you have the Grecians who gave way to the Roman kingdom who was as strong as iron. And so all of these kingdoms were at one time very prominent in their world. But kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But when we talk about this eternal heavenly kingdom, it is a kingdom that consumed all of these other kingdoms and we understand it will never be destroyed. Daniel 2, 36-44. And so Peter said, he says it's incorruptible. It's undefiled. He says it does not fade away, didn't he? He did. And so first of all, heaven is never going to be destroyed. But then secondly, he also said it's never going to be defiled. It's undefiled. There in verse 4. This is not so with the world in which we live. Our world is very much defiled. When I step back and I think about the beauty of heaven and and the, the glory of heaven itself, the opportunity to live forevermore in the presence of God, I I need to understand that heaven is a place. It's a place that will never be subverted by Satan ever. Why is that? Because Jesus said in Matthew 25 and verse 41 that the devil will have a place in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, better known as an everlasting fire. The work of the devil will be over. The work, the work of the devil, the devil will be destroyed in that lake of fire. I know we do battle with the devil every day. But when we get to that heavenly city, that's going to be all behind us. Never again will we have to do battle with the devil. But then I think about the fact that heaven will never be stained by sin. It's amazing to me to watch the news and to see the number of murders that are committed, the crimes, the rampant crime by young and old alike, the vandalism, the thefts, the rapes, the list can go on and on and on. We think about all the things that, are, that occur on a very daily basis on planet earth and yet in that heavenly city, I want you to understand there will be none of that. There will be none of that. John tells us in Revelation 21, 27, that there will be nothing in that heavenly city that defiles or makes a, an abomination or that is a lie. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be there. And so Satan, he's gone. Sin is behind us. And, the heaven, and then heaven will be a place that will not be scarred by suffering. Think about that for a moment. About all the suffering that we see here on planet earth. The very thought of, of this virus pandemic 
that's started by one man and that there are over 109,000 deaths in the world today. Only over 20,000, maybe it's 21,000 as we're speaking in the U.S. Started by one man and look how many people have died. I want you to also realize that there are numbers that tells us how many people have survived. I think that we need to look at that on a positive note that so many have been able to survive from this. But there are so many ventilators out there where people are fighting for their life, where others are able to get over this but have thought that they would not see tomorrow. 14 days in isolation in order to be able to get over this if you're able to get over it. There are so many of you that know someone or it might even be you that is battling some serious illness. We pray for you. Some of you are living in chronic pain. Some of you are hurting because of the loss of a loved one. Some are hurting because of some tragedy that you have been dealing with. You know, we live in a world that is replete with human suffering. Job once said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Job 14.1. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a world that where we're touched, where we're not touched by the trials and the tribulations of life? But in reality, to know that one day we can be in that land where we will be free from all of that. Can you imagine that? Living in a land where you will never again experience the loss of a loved one. Because John said death will be no more. There won't be any more tears in that heavenly land. Some of you may have shed tears just this past week because of some turmoil in your family. Some of you have had shed tears because of the, the loss of a loved one. There might be even some with trials that you are experiencing that seems to be ongoing. There are people that cry in this world every day who might be thinking the world's about to come to an end. I want you to understand and know that there's hope in the future. There's hope in the future. Here's what John said in Revelation 21 and verse 4. That there will be no more pain. That's it. You can bank on that. In this world we have pain. Sometimes that pain literally brings us to our knees. And yet in that land what John is telling us is that there will be no more pain. There will be no more chemo. There will be no more radiation. There will be no more surgeries. There will be no more virus. There'll be no more open graves. All of that will be done away. And so you think about this heavenly land, this inheritance that we have before us. Is there hope for the future? Yes. We talk about the blessings of our hope for the future, and we have hope. But I know that there are a lot of folks out there that don't have hope. They have no hope in our world today. That is, those who are outside of Christ. 
Paul said that they are living without hope. And the reason is because they don't have God. They're without hope and without God in this world, Ephesians 2.12. And the difference maker is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. In Ephesians 2 and verse 15, or 13 actually, Paul said, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And so the blood of Jesus Christ is that which makes it possible for us to enjoy a relationship with God the Father and Jesus the Christ. It provides for us an escape from sin and unrighteousness. But then there's a third thing that I want to share with you very quickly, and that has to do with the guards of our inheritance. Notice with me verse 5 of 1 Peter 1 now. Peter said, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Who are the guards of our salvation? What's the bridge and the hope for the future? On one hand, there is God. On the other hand, there is us. How do I know that? Well, listen again to what he said. Who are kept by the power of God. Step back and just read through the New Testament of all the great promises of God that are related to eternal life, if you will. You remember Jesus in John 14, 1 through 3, when he said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Isn't that just wonderful? To know that there is a heavenly land, that Jesus has went to prepare that place for us, that tells me that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. I hope you're prepared. Jesus is saying that for the people of all ages, there is this eternal abiding place awaiting us. Now the Bible also tells us that we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised even before the world began Titus 1 and verse 2. Now in John, 1 John 2 and verse 25, John tells us here that we have the quality of life defined as eternal. Can I trust in the promises of God? Absolutely. The basis upon which I have hope for the future is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The fact that when God speaks, he means it. Every promise outlined in Scripture is backed up by a very loving and merciful God. Now, we have hope for the future, unlike a lot of people. What we are trying to do is to encourage people who are outside of Christ to enjoy the blessings of hope. You know, I mentioned a moment ago that we are kept by the power of God. Well, that was his part, right? But it is through faith that's our part. We have to keep on keeping on. Now go to verse 9 of 1 Peter 1 and notice Peter's writing to people who are suffering for their faith. 
In verse 9 he says, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Jesus said that we are to be faithful unto death. Revelation 2 and verse 10. That is, even in the face of death for the cause of Christ, we need to be faithful to Almighty God. And the promise is, ye shall receive a crown of life. A crown of life. Do we face trials and tribulations and difficulties? Yes. We're feeling some of those even today. Do we suffer in this life? Yes, we do. Is there hope? Yes. There is hope. But we have that hope for the future. I don't don't know what the future holds. I, I can't tell you. I don't know. But I know this, that as a child of God, there is hope for the future. I can't tell you what will happen to this country one year from now, 25 years, 50 years from now. I have no idea. We can speculate. We can, we can forecast it, but really we just don't know. But when it comes to the promises of God, we can bank on these promises. They are sure. They are steadfast. They are unmovable, if you will. And what it is going to be like as we step outside this world into eternity, what about the child of God? It'll be the most wonderful thing that we've ever seen in our whole lives. I think about Brother Gordon, who we just buried yesterday. When I'm thinking about him, when he lifted up his eyes, not in torment, but into that heavenly realm that we were just talking about, where he experiences no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. To be with God in Christ and all of those rest, his brother Joe, And many others that have gone on before him. You know, Paul talked about it in Philippians 1 and 21. He says, for me to live is Christ. And that's the summation of his life. But it was all about Christ. But to die is gain. Isn't that wonderful? He went on to say in verse 23, he says, for I'm in a strait betwixt two. Having a desire to depart, to be with Christ which is far better. Well, John writes, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, save the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And so, I hope that you were able to, to hear and see there is hope for the future. There is hope in a place in heaven for you and me. How many of us have ever put up a banner that just said welcome home to a family member who's been gone a while for some time and finally was able to come home, maybe a soldier, friends that that had been gone a while, and we put up this banner that says welcome home because we're we're so happy to see him. Think about this. Won't it be comforting to know that when we step out into eternity, that we will step out into the arms of a loving God, a, a loving Son of God, Jesus, who can say to us, welcome home. I'm looking forward to that. I hope that you are. That we will be going home, an eternal home. And those of us as Christians, we have that hope. 
a hope that is unlike any hope that this world could ever offer. When you stop and step out into eternity, will God say to you, welcome home? Here's what you need to do. You need to hear the word of God because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. You need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that he was raised on that third day, John 8, 24. You need to repent of those sins, those things that had been keeping you in this life from, from God. And that, that repentance will make you turn to God in Christ for your life. And then upon that repentance that you'll make that good confession that he is the son of the living God and that you'll then go down into the waters of baptism. Everything's ready. Right now, if you came and knocked on that door and you wanted to be baptized, we would assist you. We try to stay six feet away, but you know how that happens. But you see what I'm saying? We're ready to accept your confession that you believe that you have repented of your sins and that you want to be baptized in that watery grave for the remission of your sins so that you could be added to the Lord's church. That's what the Bible tells us in Acts 2.47, that God will add you to the church, those that are being saved. I hope that you'll make that decision even this morning. I Call us, write us, text us, email us, whatever it might be. Let it be known. We'd be happy to help you. You might be already a child of God. And you wandered away, I wandered away back into the world of sin. Come back. Come back home so that we can welcome you back home by repentance of those sins. Prayer that God will forgive you and we'll pray with you and for you as well. We hope that you'll make that decision this morning.